0: Keep on keeping what you love. You'll find that someday soon enough you will rise up, rise up. Yeah. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Underdog. Today I'm super excited because I have Hala here with me today. How are you, Hala?
1: Hey, Pamela. Thanks for having me on the show.
0: Thank you so, so much for being here honored to have you. I was mentioning to you right before we started recording, been watching you, been following you for a long time. You do some pretty awesome things with your Young and Profiting podcast. So hats off to you on that. Thanks. <laughs> so I'm intrigued because I always love meeting awesome women, and especially women in business. And I'm always intrigued by the story. And it's like, all right, I know she has a story of how she got to where she is today. So I guess we could start with What inspired you in sort of like the podcast world? And maybe we can reverse backwards from there and sort of how you got there.
1: Yeah, so I actually was very interested in radio my whole life. I always loved listening to the radio. And when I was in college, I really had like two dreams. I either wanted to be a singer or an on-air personality at a radio station And I actually got an internship at Hot 97, my junior year of college. It was the number one hip hop and R&B radio station in America at the time. And I got that internship and it was amazing and I did really well. And then Angie Martinez, who was the voice of New York at the time, had the top show in America at the time, asked if I would be her intern and basically transferred me from the corporate area into the studio area. And so I did that and, and it turned out really well. And then she wanted me to work every day. And so I had to actually decide to drop out of school to take that opportunity. So I actually dropped out of school to work at a radio station for a couple of years. And then I went back to school, but I dropped out of school for a couple of years to follow my dream to be on radio. And throughout my 20s, I had online radio shows. So before podcasts were really big, there was this concept of an online radio show. And so they were studios and I had an online radio show at DTF Radio, at Bottom Music Radio, at A-List.net. And you would go in there and I used to have shows with the up-and-coming DJs who are at Hot 97. Some of them are really famous now, and they were like my DJ for my show. And... And then you know, I also had a website later on, and I used to host a show with some of my girlfriends, and we were the sorority of hip hop. And so I always had radio shows in my twenties, throughout my twenties, and a YouTube show. And I used to try different things, Facebook shows, whatever it was, but online radio shows primarily. And they had, we had good content. We interviewed celebrities. I interviewed fabulous Soldier Boy at the time. Those were really big names. Yeah, and you know, I was just a young girl getting these huge celebrities on my on my little. On Online radio shows, and we would get like 200, 300 listeners at a time. We'd promote it on social media, but it never really like blew up. Like the whole concept of online radio shows never blew up. And so I ended up leaving that behind because it's just like I couldn't generate a real big following. And my YouTube channel was kind of like a flop, didn't really do that well. So Young and Profiting Podcast is actually my seventh or eighth show, if you <laughs> count like Facebook shows that only lasted a day. And, you know, I had like four real shows. And then like three, you know, ideas and things that just like didn't really pan out after a couple of weeks, I just stopped doing it. So um, I had a lot of experience. I had a lot of experience producing radio shows. I had a lot of experience with real radio shows with Angie Martinez doing research, working to let boards, editing, audio, scripting, I had all this experience. So when I was in a corporate job, later in my life in my 20s, the late 20s, uh, I'm in my early like I'm, I am just turned 30 now like uh, recently. So in my late <laughs> in my late 20s, when I was working at Hewlett Packard and I wanted to start younger profiting podcasts, I thought I was never going to get back on a mic again because I had left my entertainment career behind and we can dig into like why and and that story and everything. But I ended up leaving my entertainment career behind and I worked in corporate for four years and then I had the idea of launching Young and Profiting Podcast and I was like, you know what? I really miss being on the mic. I miss like having a voice, having an audience. I used to be really popular on Twitter, not extremely popular, you know, like in 2010 era, if you had 6,000 followers, like you were a big deal on Twitter. And so like that's the kind of following that I had and I missed it because it's like my Twitter was dead. Everything was dead. I had no following. My boyfriend is a very successful music producer and has like over 100,000 followers on Instagram and Twitter and and I and you know when we were starting we were coming up at the same time I've been with him for 10 years and I'm like ugh, I'm this normal person working a normal corporate job and here my boyfriend's a superstar now and like <laughs> I left my dreams behind and so I was just feeling like left out like life could be a lot more fulfilling if, if I just followed my dreams and I just felt like, you know, I have one life to live. Why not get back on the mic? And and that's why I decided to start Young and Profiting Podcast. And that really just merged my broadcasting passions with my business passions.
0: That's so exciting. And it's crazy because you mentioned it's your seventh or eighth show, you know, which is incredible because sometimes, you know, people probably look at you now like, oh yeah, Hala, Yeah. She, she's super successful. That show has been, but they don't know
1: They don't know how much work it took and how much experience I have and and just like the Grit that I have because I know that it's it, it could not happen overnight. And this Young and Profiting podcast is by far my most successful show. And I think the secret sauce is because it's really meaningful. And you know, my past shows were about music, and I would interview celebrities, talk to them about their love life, talk to them about why they wrote certain songs, and it was just like really shallow. Like you know, we'd play games, and it was cool, it was fun, it was entertaining. I'm sure people like got a good laugh. But uh, Young and Profiting podcast is really about improving people's lives. And so people are really into it and they really appreciate it. And I feel more fulfilled because I feel like I'm, you know, doing a solid to all of my listeners because they'll benefit and improve their lives by listening. And so I think that was the difference. It's because I really provided value this time.
0: Right. That's awesome. So it's interesting to see you morph throughout the years, you know, through your different, through your different shows, because Mm -hmm. I listened to another one of your interviews, I was just blown away by you and the story. So you started at Hot 97. And sort of how did how did it shift from there? Because you had dropped out of school, you'd gotten to hot ninety seven, and then sort of walk me through what what happened next?
1: Yeah. So I worked at Hot 97 and I I really like busted my butt over there. So I remember always like running in the hallways to try to get the research in on time. You know, we would get the call, Jay-Z's coming tomorrow. Or when I walked in, I would find out Jay-Z's coming today. You got to do all the research. You got a couple hours. So, you know, scrambling around, typing up the research. And I just, did anything they wanted if if the djs wanted me to feed their meters i was responsible to go like make sure they didn't get parking tickets i would run around the city to find Angie's like dry shampoo with her driver and like it was just crazy like the the, uh, stories I have are so funny because it's like I was it was kind of like making the band is like what how I can describe it like in terms of like the stuff that they would make me do it was like a lot of radio stuff and then a lot of like bullshit like pay your dues (laughs) type of stuff and so I did that and I I was young and it was cool and I, I appreciated the opportunity and it was so much fun to go to the parties that night with the DJs and kind of like be in the DJ booth like you know super VIP. It, it was an amazing time, uh, especially being that young. And you know, all my friends were jealous, and I was like, you know, that I had this this job and all these connections. And so I loved being at Hot ninety seven. It was my identity. I absolutely loved it. You know, everybody knew me as the girl who worked at Hot ninety seven. Everybody like that was like the one thing that I could say like I work at Hot ninety seven. And and then um, you know, I was also feeling insecure because I work for free. Even though I dropped out of school, I worked for free every day and. You know, sometimes on the weekend I would go there and, and have to work the boards at two in the morning with like um, Al Roker and like all these like crazy people. And so like I, I would do stuff for the station and, and that's how the radio world works. So a lot of the people who you've seen, Angie Martinez, Funkmaster Flex, all those people, they worked for, for the other, like for their predecessor, uh, like their equivalent of who Funkmaster Flex or Angie Martinez was for many years for free, five, 10 years. And that's how it goes in the radio world. It was tough for me because I come from a very successful family. So my dad's a doctor and all my siblings decided to go to medical school. I'm the baby. And so when I was interning for free at a hip hop radio station, all of my siblings were in med school. And so I was getting a lot of shit from my parents. And I was hustling and making money. I was booking showcases at night and and, uh, on the weekends and hosting them with other DJs. And I was making like, you know, a thousand bucks every two weeks or whatever. Like I was scraping by for a young girl, but my parents thought that I was smarter and more successful. They were disappointed that I dropped out of school and all I wanted was a job. I just wanted like a thirty thousand dollar, like shitty job. That's all a radio station would pay anyway. Uh, but I just wanted to have like a secure job. And so I kept kind of like bugging Angie that like I wanted a job. I wanted a job. Then she ended up buying her producer and I was the intern producer and I used to do all his work anyway. He kind of sucked. And so I was doing his job anyway. I was the assistant producer. And then all of a sudden they hired somebody who worked in the video department and he was my friend and we were really good friends. We were around the same age. He was just a couple of years older than me. And so all the young kids at the station were all like, you know, best friends. We hung out with each other every day. And so I remember, you know, feeling really disappointed. It was his first day at work. And I remember texting, I felt like sick that I didn't get the job and I was just really depressed. And I remember texting him and I said, you know, if you want to learn how to do Angie's show, learn it on your own like I did. Good luck today. I feel sick. I don't want to go into work. And I was just pissed, you know? And so he showed that text message to Angie and she was really pissed off at me. And she fired me. And so they cut my key cards. I wasn't allowed back in the station. There was no two weeks. It was just like you're out. That's it. All the DJs called me. Oh my God. I'm so sorry. Oh my God. I'm so sorry. And basically told me they can't talk to me anymore. That I can't come to the parties anymore. And that I was basically blackballed and that like they're gonna feel it out, see like if Angie calms down so that they can try to get me back in the station and like you know, it was like this whole big deal that like you're blacklisted now and like we can't even hang out with you. We You can't even tweet you, support you. Like it's it's over, you know? So unless Angie changes her mind, okay? So that's what happened to me. And I know, I know. And then I felt like somebody died, you know? I had worked for free for almost three years for this lady and she just slapped me in the face. And so I felt like somebody died. You would think you would give a young girl like a second chance, especially she worked for free for you for three years. She made one mistake. She was upset that you gave somebody, she didn't give a shit. So it taught me a lot of things. I learned so much things. First of all, I'll never write anything down when I'm mad. Don't ever write anything down when you're mad. Think about it a little and have a one-on-one conversation, uh, you know, face to face or over the phone or something. Instead, if you really need to tell somebody something, don't ever do it in a text because it can get read the wrong way. You never know who's going to backstab you and show another person. And so I'll never do that again. I'm so much more mindful with what I write down now. And because it really fucked me, like, you know, I lost three years for text messages sucks. And so that's what happened. And then I ended up, you know, feeling really down. I was, you know, felt like somebody died. I felt like my identity was taken away from me. But then, you know, it gave me the opportunity to go back to school. Like, thank God, you know, thank God I went back to school because then I got a real career. I started making six figures and like, you know, my whole life elevated uh, later on in life. If I had never got fired, I would have never went back to school. That means I would have never went and got my MBA. And so it's like my whole life, you know, everything happens for a reason. I have no regrets, but, and and I'm really thankful that that happened, honestly, because now I probably make five times more than anybody who works at that (laughs) station. So it's just like, who cares? You know, it is what it is. Yeah. So sorry. And sorry, I was being long winded. I just wanted to give you guys some details. So back to why, what I did next. So then I went, So back to my senior year in college and I finished. And before that, I was a terrible student before Hot 97. One of the reasons why I dropped out is because I was basically failing out of school. I never went to class. I was on cheerleading. I was doing plays. I was part of my sorority. I was a party girl. I, you know, had a really strict parents growing up. And so when I was in college, it was like, I went crazy. You know, I was just a wild, yeah, I was wild. And so it's like, I never went to school anyway. When I went back to school, I was way more mature and ready for school. And then I started getting A's and all my teachers really loved me. And like, I just started being more of a student And really caring about it. And then ever since then, I went and got my MBA. Later on, I got a 4.0. I was always really good at school ever since then. And I think it's just, you know, sometimes you need to be ready for school. And it's okay to explore and, and, uh, you know, take your time. I really encourage people, like, if you don't feel like you're ready for school, take a break, get some experiences, then go back and you'll make more, uh, you know, be worth your money then. So anyway, I, I got Right when I went back to school and right after Hot 97, I got this bright idea. I'm going to get revenge, right? I'm going to get revenge on everyone on Hot 97. I am going to start the sorority of hip hop. I'm going to recruit all girls in the hip hop and entertainment industry. You know, we're never given any opportunities. Even the other females in the industry don't level us up. I'm going to make female empowerment platform with other ladies in the entertainment industry, and we're all going to be pretty smart and rock it. And I'm going to do this. And so I fueled all that negativity in terms of not being at Hot 97 into the sorority of hip hop and learning something new. I decided I was, at the time blogs were like everything. That's what every it wasn't podcasts. It was blogs, right? And so I wanted to start a blog. So I learned all about WordPress. I learned how to code. I learned graphic design. I started getting up to speed in terms of social media. I went on Craigslist and I recruited girls and I would, I put out solicits like, Hey, I'm starting something called the young, uh, sorority of hip hop. I'm hollow from hot eighty seven. Here's my Twitter handle. You know, I, looking for other girls in the entertainment industry. If you want to learn how to write, learn how to blog, learn social media, come work for me. And I just recruited all these volunteers. So like within two weeks, I had 14 girls and I had my first meeting with the sorority of hip hop. We met at the college campus <laughs> and, you know, and because I was really good at school and stuff, all the teachers would like, hook me up and give me key codes to like all like our (laughs) conference rooms and stuff at school. And so I would like book them out over the weekends and have the girls come meet me. And like and we started this sorority of hip hop and, uh, within three months, we were the 30,000th most popular website in the world. And we were one of the biggest hip hop and entertainment websites. And it just blew up like very quickly so quickly. In fact, like we were like we were more popular in the beginning of of everything than we were like later on cuz blogs started to die down. But when we first like the first year we started, we were like rocking, you know. And and it was crazy and all my teachers knew about it and and really like thought it was so cool and I just had a lot of support to to get it started. And so it was amazing and I taught all these girls how to blog. We did this cool thing in terms of expanding our brand on Twitter where All the girls, we hooked up this like automation tool where every time we put out a blog, all the girls would tweet the blog title and the celebrity's name would be like at mentioned in the blog title. And we were the first ones to think about doing that. I think everybody does that on Twitter now and and has been. And so Drake or Kanye West or whoever was cool at the time would get 50 girls at mentioning them with the same blog title, what would they do? They'd retweet it and it was a link to our blog and that's how we blew up. So like all these celebrities would retweet us because they're like, what? who are all these girls who are posting the same thing about me? Let me retweet it or show some love and then that's how we got a lot of exposure. So MTV approached us within the first couple of months and they wanted to shoot a pilot. They, they thought it was the, the coolest idea. They thought, you know, it was going to be a hit and so they wanted to film us. So they, they did like a little pilot. It wasn't really a big deal. But it was so early on that we thought, what's next? You know, who cares that we didn't get it? You know, what's going to happen next? Then, you know, we continued on our journey. We kept pushing out blogs. We had an online radio show. We must have had three on, different online radio shows. We hosted concerts and showcases. We, you know, did a number of things. We used to go to like sneaker conventions and have like a booth at the sneaker conventions with cupcakes and all this crazy stuff. And then also sell like stickers. And like, we were just like... Just trying to make it, you know, we did anything. And so we would mostly make our money from parties. We weren't really monetizing the website that much because I didn't really know enough. I wasn't smart enough or, or, you know, we were too excited about the parties. And uh, because at the time, going back to Hot 97 and how everybody blackballed me, Everything switched once we once I launched the website and it started getting big. All the DJs started calling me, come host this party with me, come. And then, then all of a sudden, I'm on the same flyer of DJ Camillo, me and DJ Camillo, me and Funkmaster Flex, me and all the big DJs in New York. If you guys are from the area, like that's a big deal, you know, I was getting shouted out on the radio station every weekend, Hollaberry, the Ho- Strawberry Blunt girls, you know, like every weekend, shout out to us, hosting all the parties and just became one of their equals, Angie Martinez, you know, came back with her tails between her legs, wanted me to be on Love and Hip Hop, was trying to get me on Love and Hip Hop with Mona Scott. And like, you know, everything changed. The whole tables flipped because I took everything in my own power and created my own lane and said, I don't need your help. I'm going to do it by myself. And I did. And then everybody kind of respected me more. So it's really funny. I'm so glad because it's like I leveled up so much. I went from being everyone's intern to hosting the party side by side with everyone, you know? And so it's like, I really leveled myself up. And so thank God I got fired from Hot 97. So anyway, a couple years into the sorority of hip-hop, you know, we were, it was, it was hard. I was, I was the leader, the president of 50 girls, right? We did a lot of photo shoots. We did fun things, but there was a lot of drama. We were all young catty girls. There was a lot of girls who also wanted to be in the spotlight. There was a lot of girls like Melissa Sweets was like my VP, best president, sorry, vice president. And, you know, she equally like did a lot of work. And so me and her would butt heads because I couldn't go to all the parties, but I was also the one coding the website. And like, we would butt heads in terms of who's doing more work And like, you know, it was just a lot of drama and a lot of hardship in terms of me managing all these girls. And so that was tough. And three years into it, MTV approached us again. This time they were like, you're definitely going to get a show. This time they made us sign paperwork. I was the lead. I was getting paid the most. They signed five other girls. They started a lot of drama because they didn't actually pick the main girls. They picked some of the younger girls to be on the show and some of our main girls like weren't picked and so they were super pissed off and it was a lot of drama. So they fucked everything up for us. Just sorry for cursing, but just to be clear... MTV (laughs) ruined the sorority of hip hop. So anyway, they came. They filmed us, filmed us for a whole summer. They got us a studio on Broadway, just like the real world, like neon signs, totally hooked up. We got our makeup done every day. They would film us walking on the street. We had like a camera crew of ten people following us around. They would instigate fights with us. They came to my parents' house to film. They really went all out. We threw a concert. We had different outfits and coordinated a dance. Like it was just like some whole big thing, you know. And so. Needless to say, like at the end of it, we we thought we were going to be the next Jersey Shore. It was right after Jersey Shore ended. We thought we were going to be famous. We thought we finally made it. Like I told you, we weren't really monetizing the blog. And we thought this was going to be our chance to actually make a paycheck and, and sustain ourselves. And then MTV didn't give us a show. And it was another huge slap in the face and all that time you know we got paid for the months we filmed but we were just banking on you know being famous and getting paid a lot to host parties and stuff the same way like jersey shore was so it just really screwed things up for us and i was fed up i i felt like i can't do this entertainment industry stuff anymore this is just killing me and i'm so smart and i'm not making any money and all these girls are looking at me to make them famous and i gotta worry about myself and i just felt like you know enough is enough i gotta worry about myself so I shut down the website. We actually pretended we were going to prank that we were going to shut down. I thought that it would be a good, like buzz uh, for our fans. And uh, we did it as a prank. Didn't start it back up. A lot of girls uh, were really pissed at me because they, they really loved the sorority of hip hop. And I had a lot of girls for many years begging me to start it back up and they just really wanted it back. And, but I just moved on and I just decided that, you know, it it's just how long can I be the president of the sorority hip hop? Like I can't do it forever. We didn't make it. And you know, everybody's got all of their lives. And like I said, I wanted to do something a little bit more meaningful. And I also needed to work on myself. So I went and I channeled all my energy into getting an MBA. Like I said, I did terrible in my undergrad only did good my senior year. So I couldn't really get a good job with those grades. And everybody saw my resume like sorority of hip hop. Like what who is this girl? Like even though I was smart, my resume was like so stupid. You know, I got this MBA and it Gave me the opportunity to get my foot in the door at Hewlett Packard. And so I did an MBA internship at Hewlett Packard. Then they hired me. Then I got promoted like four four or five times, like very quickly. I really stood out within the corporate world because I had so many networking skills. I had so much digital media skills. I really learned on the internet. And I think everybody else kind of had this institutional knowledge. They only learned what they learned in school. And so I was way ahead of everyone. And I also had way better social skills. And so I was able to like get the attention of the CEO and the CMO very quickly and, and became the face of the young employees at Hewlett Packard. So that was cool. And, you know, I worked myself up at at Hewlett Packard and I ended up making six figures very fast. I thought that I was going to be, you know, left behind uh, that a lot of my friends who went into corporate straight out of school. Like I said, I took a long time to graduate school because I took that break. And then, you know, I was an entrepreneur for three years. So it's like I was starting at ground zero. I was a freaking intern when all my other friends were like managers already, you know, and so... I leveled up very quickly and I was very happy that that happened because I was worried that I was just going to always be like five years behind everyone, you know? And so, I ended up starting this uh, this thing called the Young Employee Network at Hewlett-Packard. So they have these things called employee resource groups. And they have chapters all over the world. It's a big deal. A lot of corporate companies have them. It's like the Black Employee Network, the Veterans Employee Network, whatever, like specialty groups or you know support groups. That's what a lot of companies do. So my office had a lot of young people, and we had no employee resource groups. So I decided I'm going to found the Young the Young Employee Network. So I did that. And I recruited everybody. I was president and I was I did a great job. I started their holiday parties, their company picnics, all their charity events. I got direct access to the CEO because I was the one asking for budget. And, and so I became very visible and became the face of the Young Employees. Then they have something called the Global Young Employee Network, which basically manages all the chapters. There's like maybe 50 chapters around the world. It's a lot of people. It's like 7,000 people or more within that. It's a huge company. At the time, it was like 300,000 people in the company. So it was a big deal to me at the time. I I felt like, oh, finally, I'm a leader again. I've got this platform again. I feel fulfilled again, right? Mm-hmm. And so I was in this global young employee network. I started this event called HP Spirit Week, where it was like different themed days around the world. And over 500 people helped me plan it. There was like over like, I can't even remember 700 events around the world that we planned. And so like I was emailing the company every day. And it's like really was a big deal. And they still do this yearly event. And I'm the one who created all the boilerplate templates for it and thought of everything. And at the time I was the recruitment chair on the global young employee network. So then I wanted to be president, you know, that's my personality. I always want to lead. I always want to be president. I had like 50 people send in videos, nominating me. Everybody wanted me to be president who was on the board. Cause it's like, I am a good leader. Like I'm not trying to toot my own horn, but I'm really good at leading and getting shit done and being a visionary and, and also p- rolling up my sleeves and doing work, you know, I'm not afraid to do work. So I was the most qualified by far. I thought I had it in the bag and the HR lady didn't pick me. So she gave it to somebody else who literally had no experience, did not deserve it. Here I was literally working a part-time job. My side hustle was working charity for my company. Literally, my side hustle was building culture for HP. And I spent five hours a day or, or like four or five hours a day on this thing for HP that I didn't even own. And I didn't even have control over whether they would keep me or, or kick me out and they kicked me out. So all of a sudden I had all this free time because I was no longer on the, they didn't even give me a position on the global young employee network. They said goodbye. And I'm like, okay, I just did all this work for three years for free. And then you guys are, are giving me the boot. And so it was up to this HR person. And it was some lady who ended up quitting a month later. So it's, it's funny how, how those things happen. And so I decided, you know what, I still want to have a voice in the millennial generation, I don't get an opportunity to lead these 7,000 people anymore. I loved it so much. But I have I still have myself my voice, why don't I do something for myself? Why don't I start something new that I own that nobody can tell me that They can take it away from me. Nobody's going to give me the approval. I'm going to do it on my own. So that's why I started Young and Profiting Podcast. That's what fueled me to start Young and Profiting Podcast. And so again, it's another rejection story. My story is filled with ups and downs and ups and downs. It's another rejection story. But then I turned it around, started a Young and Profiting Podcast, and everything's a big success. So I'm so thankful.
0: You are so dope in so many respects. I got to give my hats off to you, seriously, because somebody who can adapt to those types of rejections it takes a special person to do that. So, like, you know, it almost happened like three times with you. You know, one. Yeah, hot
1: three hot major seven, times.
0: One at Hot 97, one with the hip hop sorority, and then again with HP.
1: Yeah. Mm-hmm.
0: Wow. So, what, what sort of helped fuel you to be like, I'm just going to be better? I'm just going to go out there and keep doing it? Like, what was sort of your mind state when that stuff happened? Because I know this because I have a ton of listeners who are in that stage where it's like, life just blew up and you're like, hot damn, that was my identity. Like, what am I gonna do with myself now kind of thing? You know, like, how did you position yourself in such a positive way to be like, you know what? I'm gonna go out there, I'm gonna get my MBA and I'm gonna do my thing, I'm gonna be better, you know? So I didn't know if there was a special quote or a special person in your life that sort of pushed you to that next level.
1: Yeah, so I think it it was mostly me just realizing that anytime I've ever been successful, it's actually been on the heels of rejection. So using that negativity to actually fuel me into a different direction. So when I left Hot 97, I decided I was going to focus all my energy on learning something new, that learning something new was building websites. When I left the sorority of hip hop, when I shut that down, I decided I was going to fuel all my energy in improving myself by getting an MBA. And I got a 4.0, I got straight A's, you know, and so I fueled all my energy into getting a 4.0 so that I could get into whatever job I wanted. And so that I could set, you know, the foundation for the rest of my life. And because I knew that I had a poor undergrad, I needed to get a 4.0 so that there was no question in terms of my smarts when I tried to get, like, go get a job. So basically just getting really clear on a goal. So for example, I want to learn how to blog and build websites and build a popular website. I want to know everything about SEO. So I I had a new passion, a new idea. And then I focused everything in terms of, you know, learning everything that I could so that I could be the best possible and like do the best job and, and, and really like dive into that. And then there's no more brain space for all the negativity. There's no more brain space to feel bad about anything. There's no more brain space to feel regret, just focusing on something new and like just taking action. So that's really my secret in terms of when something, you know, goes bad. When you fail, when you get rejected, you have two options. You can either learn something new, like actually it's just one option. (laughs) You can, I would learn something new and then create your own path. Like something that you can control, that no gatekeeper can tell you no. Again, like I started my own website. I didn't go decide, oh, I'm going to go join someone else's website. No, I started my own that I own, that I decided when I'm going to shut it down and when I want to move on. It's nobody else telling me what to do. Same thing when I, with Young and Profiting Podcasts, when I, when I didn't get that, you know, presidency of the Young Employee Network, honestly, thank God I didn't get that. Like I would, once I left HP and got a job at Disney, that would have been gone away too. It's nothing that I own. It's not an asset that I own. It's not something that I can take with me wherever I go. You want to start building things that you can take wherever you go, that you own, that you're in control of, that you can monetize yourself, that nobody's taking advantage of you and that you can basically decide how far you want to go with. And so I think that's the secret. Just thinking about why didn't I get this opportunity? Most likely it is some gatekeeper that's saying no to you. How can I do this on my own? Do I really need this other person to tell me that I have permission to do what I want to do? And the answer is usually no, you probably can do it on your own. And you're probably better off doing it on your own.
0: Amen. That's solid advice. Solid advice. And now I have two more questions for you. I know you've got to go soon, but who was the biggest inspiration in your life that kept you pushing throughout all this?
1: I would say the biggest inspiration in my life was my dad. So my dad, he recently passed away in in May and uh, he passed away from COVID actually. So it was terrible, but God bless him. He still had a long, amazing life, but he grew up super poor in Palestine. He was a son of a farmer. The only light he had to study for school was on his walks to school. He just had like the sunlight And he ended up getting a scholarship and going to med school and coming to America and, you know, became a surgeon and then chief of surgery and opened up medical centers. And he like went from absolutely nothing to something. And he was like the only one in his family that made it and then supported his whole family in Palestine and put all my cousins through college and like, really was just like a generous, amazing man who wanted to be a doctor for like the right reasons. Like, like I said, he wasn't a flashy person. He really just wanted to Save lives and he saved so many lives. And so, to me, one of the reasons why, you know, I wanted to have a more fulfilling podcast, as I was talking about earlier, is because I want to help people improve their lives, like the same way that my dad helped so many people improve their lives. I want to educate people. I feel like I had a lot of privilege. You know, I had a lot of hardships. I'm Arabic. So, of course, life wasn't perfect in terms of the, you know, quote unquote privilege, but I did have a lot of advantages because, you know, I didn't grow up poor and, and like a lot of people don't get the same opportunities I could, you know. I could get education and it wasn't an issue. And so like a lot of people don't have those opportunities. And so I want to give back, make sure that I'm paying forward. And I do that in my dad's honor every day.
0: Thank you so much for sharing that. Thank you so much. It's always, it's always inspiring to me to hear, like, where do you get your, gather your inspiration from? And For for me, it's the same thing. My dad, you know, my dad sat me down when I was seven years old. He's like, you're a leader you're going to do it. You're going to get, Like, you know, so I think it's something special about dads, you know, that bring that sort of energy to their daughters. So
1: they do God bless
0: him. God bless him. And then I, I guess the last question for you is what would your older self knowing all that you know, now tell your younger self?
1: I would say spend your time wisely, make sure that you enjoy life, make sure that you have fun, but don't waste so much of your time. Really think about all the activities that you do, where you spend your time and, you know, if you own those opportunities, like I think about how much time I spent at Hot 97 working for free, you know, or at, at Hewlett Packard doing this side hustle within the company for free and got nothing out of it. Do I regret them now? Um, And I think that they're important, but how long do you have to do the, like, maybe don't do it for three years, maybe do it for one year, you know, like, and, and move on so that you can. Do something on your own that you own. And so I think that's what I would encourage my younger self to do is kind of like, just be like, don't just get stuck in the day to day, day to day, try to step back, look at your life, see, you know, is this going to matter in five years? Am I even going to be allowed to do this for the next five years? Like, what is the end goal? And don't waste your time too much. Because I think, you know, maybe Young and Profiting Podcast would have been, you know, happened two years earlier if, if I had been a little bit more strategic with my time.
0: And now, can you tell everyone where to find you and your awesome podcast?
1: Sure. So, Young and Profiting Podcast is my podcast. We're on every major podcast platform. So, just Google us. You'll find it. It's spelled normal, Young and Profiting. You can find me on LinkedIn. Uh, My name is Hala Taha. H-A-L-A, last name T-A-H-A. I know it's a funny name, but uh, that's me. And then... uh, <laughs> and then Instagram at yap with hala. So thank you and I, I hope to hear from, you know, everybody who tuned in today.
0: Absolutely, Hala. Thank you so so much. I appreciate you. It was an honor to have you. I've been looking forward to this one for for a while. So thank you so much.
1: Thank you so much, Pamela. It was so much fun. You did a great job. The only dream that I've been chasing is my own.
0: So that's it for today's episode of Underdog.